Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. TJ stands for, some people say Terry and Jesse, but it could also stand for truth and justice. Amen. It could also stand for totally Jesus. We are here to help you love God, save souls, and slay air. My name is Jesse, the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm on duty. Yeah, good, Jess. Terry Barber, the Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And today we have a special show honoring another great prelate uh, of the church who passed away, uh, Cardinal George Pell, who's being buried in Rome tomorrow. It's going to be fascinating to hear his last testament testament because he's really reaching out <clears throat> to the church and saying, look, let's get back on track. But before we do that, Jess, uh, and before we have the gospel, I wanted to give some good news. I think this is good news. I saw this yesterday. John Henry Weston from LifeSite delivered 45,000 signatures of people like myself and you, Jess, saying uh, that we're defending Father Frank Pavone to give him his priesthood back. And uh, I say this because at the same time this is going on, one of the Jesuits' priests who abused women in the confessional, I'll just be Father honest, Rupnick, sexually, Rupnick. Father Rubnick, he abused these women, and the church's canons say you're excommunicated automatically. And then what happens? Pope Francis reinstates him back with his priesthood and with his back, no more excommunication. I just don't see it, Jesse. I see this as an injustice. And as leaders in the church, you know, we ask our leaders, be just. Father Frank Pavone, I believe, is being abused by the hierarchy. And I just want to call it out and say, please, let's get him back where he can offer Holy Mass and hear confessions and continue the work that a priest has been uh, ordained for. So there you go. I know that sounds like I'm being critical, but I've got to tell you, it's just the facts. The fact is the, we have a lot of abuse going on in the highest es echelons of the church. Okay, there, just can you, can you imagine... Uh, with so much abortion in the country and around the world, Father Pavone is needed more than any a, a, than any other time in history. We need a Father Pavone right Absolutely. now. Uh, Father Rupnik, he spent his life painting, and his painting was not even that good. If you look at some of his, no, it's, his it's painting, childish, it's it looks like fourth graders, you know, scribbling on a uh, on a canvas. And yet, there's a double standard, not only in America, conservatives get prosecuted and arrested by the FBI, yeah. by the Biden administration, right. and in the church, if you're traditional, if you're orthodox, uh, you get no justice, Terry, but if you're a liberal, a modernist, guess what? The laws don't apply to you. And that's wrong. That's just plain wrong, Jess. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Let me share another piece of good news. Yeah, another piece. Well, I don't know. Yeah, this is good news. Uh, there's a survey that just came out. I thought, you know, mm -hmm. I've always kind of known this, but I'm glad that a survey actually backed this up. Yeah. That Catholic churches are the most beautiful buildings in the world. Yep. Catholic churches uh, in a survey were, were were ranked as the most beautiful buildings in the world. Again, <laughs> uh, that, that's the beauty of Catholicism, architecture, because we're trying to lead people to the one true God who's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Also, there's an, another pretty good story. Is uh, there's a U.S. bishop, uh, Bishop Thomas Tobin, the good guy up in New England. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, to members of Congress. He said this to members of Congress who voted against the abortion alive, the the, the born alive abortion per, uh, survivors protection act. You just voted against giving basic medical care to a struggling new corp, newborn child. Oh. How heartless, barbaric. And cruel, shame on you. It was basically the entire Democrat Party in Congress that voted against it, Terry. Yep. Yeah. And, well uh, 
Yeah, and also something else that it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I, I figured this was this was something that was going to happen. Archbishop Ganswine, yeah, uh, yeah Ganswine, no surprise. <laughs> yeah, he was told to leave the Vatican by February first. By February first, Pope Francis has evicted him from his apartment. Uh, he was uh, Pope Benedict's uh, personal secretary. Apparently, he probably didn't like the contents of the books, so he said, you're gone. Get out of here in two weeks. Wow. No surprise. Anything else, Jess, before we get to... That's good- it, Terry. Oh, wait, let's That's get it. soul food in our souls. Yes. Uh, Great feast day, too, Jess. Yes. Uh, the, arch, the, the feast day today of, of St. Hillary of Poitiers. Ooh, what, yeah. Let me mention a little bit about him. Hillary, because... Yeah. He was a he was a pagan. When you listen to the name, you probably think it's a female. No, he's a Catholic bishop. He's a, he's a man. Yeah. He was born into a pagan family. Hillary is said to have studied his way into the church, meditating in in, in part on the prologue of John's gospel. That's Ch- John chapter one verses one to fourteen. That's the part. Uh, that's the gospel that's read after the the Latin mass uh, is after the the Ita Misa Est. Then the priest goes back to the altar and reads the prologue of John in Latin. It's also it's it's also used in solemn rites of exorcism, John one verses one to fourteen. In three fifty three, he was chosen bishop of Poitiers, France, and only three years later was exiled to present day Turkey by the emperor, who was a professed Arian. There, Bishop Hillary composed his great doctrinal work on the Trinity, and here's what he said: quote, "Anyone who fails to see." That Christ Jesus was at once true God and true man is blind to his own life. To deny Christ Jesus or God the Spirit or our own flesh is equally perilous, he wrote. Bishop Hillary, St. Hillary, pray for us. We need a Bishop Hillary right now, brother. Continue. Yeah, clear thinking. Uh, clear thinking. Uh, straight, straight shooting. John, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus mm-hmm. returned to Capernaum after... After some days, it became known that he was at home. Many gathered together so that there was no longer room for them, not even around the door. And he preached the word to them. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Unable to get near Jesus because of the crowd, they opened up the roof above him. That's faith. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. These are his friends. They're saying, hey, you're paralyzed. We're going to take you to see Jesus of Nazareth. The friend's, the friend's not asking to go. But the guys are saying, he can heal you. Trust me. Trust us. Yep. He can heal you. We'll carry you. They get there. They can't get in. They make a hole in the roof. <laughs> Talk about an act of faith. They would have looked like the biggest fools making a hole in the roof, you know, uh, d- descending your friend who's paralyzed down the roof if Jesus could not have healed them. They would have been the laughing stock of Capernaum. He goes on to say, unable to get near Jesus because of the crowd, they opened up the roof above him. After they had, they had broken through, they let down the mat on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there asking themselves, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who but God alone can forgive sins? Jesus immediately knew in his mind what they were thinking to themselves. By the way, that that verse shows us the divinity of Christ because only God knows the minds of people. Angels can't read your mind. Demons can't read your mind. Only God can read your mind. And here it says that Jesus knew their minds, demonstrating his divine nature. It says here, Why are you thinking such things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, pick up your mat, and walk. But that you may know 
that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat and go home. He rose, picked up his mat at once and went away in the sight of everyone. They were all astounded and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is what separates Jesus Christ from right. all the other so-called prophets, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, Zoroaster, <laughs> is that they all spoke, but they, they could not perform. They did not back up their message with a miracle or with a, a miraculous deed. Jesus Christ would speak, and then he would confirm the message with miracles. And so, again, we know that only God can forgive, and this is why they said, wow, this guy must be God because he's forgiving sins and only God can do miracles. And then he's doing miracles right after in his name. Again, I think a lot of it here too that we've, we seem to miss is the faith of the four men who exactly. carried the paralytic. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You nailed it. Because the, the forgiveness that Jesus shows, uh, you know, this helpless paralytic in response to the faith of the four men. It wasn't his faith, it was the faith of the four men. This also, by the way, it mirrors the effect of infant baptism where the baby is regenerated, this helpless baby is regenerated through the intercessory faith of the parents. Well said, Jesse. This is the gospel my friend Fidel Jimenez referred to when he brought his three-month-old baby who had leukemia to Father Aloysius here in Los Angeles. 45 years ago and asked for a miracle and that little baby was totally healed she ended up becoming a bride of christ she's been a nun for the last 25 years and i was just with her in december and so i I, my point is this is what we have intercessory prayer we have uh, reparation but we have we have our prayers have an effect on the salvation of souls and very the very fact that people bring souls to lords it's the same thing they bring it they bring people, they go all the way across the, the pond to go to Lourdes, to go through the water. It's their faith that saves them. And, and yeah. our Lord is expecting us to do the same thing, just like in the gospel. Hey, let's get Bishop Sheen in real quick. Oh, Sheen, had, just this applies to us in our modern world. He says, you can quickly become tired of pleasures. Yep. But you can never be tired of joys. And what I mean by joys and Sheen is the joy of the gospel. This is what's so so beautiful about sharing the faith with people. We're going to do that tomorrow at the conference. If you haven't had a chance to register, you can go to VMPR. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss that conference. VMPR.org or call us at 877-526-2151. When we come back, folks, we're going to talk about what I consider one of the great men of the church, Cardinal George Pell, and um, his last testament. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about... uh, what he is, the effect he's had on Holy Mother of the Church, even from the grave today. Stay with us, family. I like to say yeah. Jess and I are too yep. blessed to be stressed. Yep. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, was money, we'd be billionaires. As Fulton Sheen says, the joy of the gospel brings that joy to us. And it will bring it to you, too. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jesse, you know, I get texts all the time because I give my number out, 661-972-787. I think I'm the only knucklehead in Catholic radio that does that. But, you know, I got a guy who says, hey, dude, what you just said about our leaders in our church, 
That's why we support you guys, because he says, you guys just give the facts. That's why I listen to you, and I support you. And I say, thank you. God bless you. Because I told him in my facts, my email text back to him, Jess and I can't do it any other way. Our DNA is built that way. Yeah, Terry, again, because uh, we, uh, we have built-in um, BS meters. <laughs> and, and, and our antennas go up when we hear oh, yeah. baloney. Yep. <laughs> Uh, bologna sandwich. That's what I mean by BS. Yes. BS, we got bologna sandwich meters. And so uh, we just have our DNA just tracks towards the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus Christ and Holy Mother Church. And we're not going to bend nope. even if we end up in jail one day. That's right. Jess, let's talk about this uh, article in The Spectator, uh, because this is really an article. And I'll just set the stage. Cardinal Mueller last night was on Raymond Royal Thursday night. And I want everybody to watch it with Father Fessio and others, Raymond Royal. Uh, but he, we found out that Cardinal Pell really spoke a lot about this article with Cardinal, um, uh, the German bishop, I just said his name, Cardinal Mueller. And they sent hours going over this article wow. that we're going to talk about. So he had, he really worked on this article because he had to say things that were really difficult to have to say. And I just want to say, check that out. But also, we're going to get into what actually the article said. And the title is The Catholic Church Must Free Itself from This Toxic Nightmare. What are we referring to? Hit it, Jess. It says here, shortly before he died on Tuesday, Cardinal George Pell wrote the following article for The Spectator in which he denounced the Vatican's plans for its forthcoming Synod on Synodality Mm -hmm. as a toxic nightmare. The booklet produced by the Synod to be held in two sessions this year and next year is one of the most incoherent documents ever sent out from Rome. <laughs> Amen to that. In other words, diabolical disoriented. Yep. Says Pell. Pell said that. It's the most incoherent document ever sent out by Rome. Not on. Not only is it couched in neo-Marxist jargon, but it's hostile to the apostolic tradition and ignores such fundamental Christian tenets as belief in divine judgment, heaven, and hell. Wow, well, well said. <laughs> The Australian-born cardinal who endured the terrible ordeal of imprisonment in his home country on fake charges of sex abuse before being acquitted was nothing if not courageous. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, it, I'm sure people in the Roman Curia had something to do with him being arrested. Of course. He did not know that he was about to die when he wrote this piece. He was prepared to face the fury of Pope Francis and the organizers when it was published. As it is... His sudden death may add extra force to his words when the Synod meets this October. The Catholic Synod of Bishops is now busy constructing what they think of as God's dream of synodality. Unfortunately, this divine dream has developed into a toxic nightmare despite the bishops' professed good intentions. They've produced a 45-page booklet which presents its account of the discussions of the first stage of listening and discernment held in many parts of the world, and that is one of the most incoherent documents ever sent out from Rome. While we thank God that Catholic numbers around the globe, especially in Africa and Asia, are increasing, the picture is radically different in Latin America, with losses to the Protestants as well as the, se- as, as well as the secularists. Yep. With no sense of irony, the document is entitled, quote, Enlarge the space of your tent, close oh, quote, and the aim of doing so is to accommodate. I'm sick and tired of that word. Tired of that. Accommodate and listen. Um, accommodate. Not the newly baptized. Those who have answered the call to repent and believe. 
but anyone who might be interested enough to listen. Participants are urged to be welcoming and radically inclusive. No one is excluded. Terry, sounds to me like the document's going to be... It's going to be like that song by Marty Hagen, All Are Welcome, that, that Lutheran oh, yeah. that's been singing in the Catholic Church in the Novus Ordo if, Masses since the 1970s. If I can just jump in and say this, not everyone is, is, is welcomed. I'll tell you why, Jesse. <laughs> uh, any Orthodox comments that would get into the document, they were taken away. It's not happening. It's not happening. So they, they, this whole thing's been shoved down our throat. We already know the results even before it takes place. Because the people in charge of it are dissenters. They don't believe in the apostolic teachings of the church. So he says, what, what is one to make of this potpourri, this outpouring of New Age goodwill? He says, this, the document does not urge even Catholic participation to make disciples of all nations. What we're going to talk about tomorrow at our evangelization conference. Matthew 28, 16, 20. What happened to that? Much less to preach that the Savior in season and out of season... 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. But the first task for everyone, and especially the teachers, is to listen to, into the Spirit. According to this recent update of good news of Sonodality, as a way of being for the church is not to be defined, but to be lived. What a bunch of garbage. It revolves around five creative tensions, starting from radical inclusion and moving towards the mission in a participatory style, practicing co-responsibility with other believers and people of goodwill. Difficulties are acknowledged, such as war, genocide, the gap between clergy and lady, but all can be sustained, says the bishops, by living spirituality. This, the image of the church... What does that mean? By a lively spirituality. What is that New mean? Age spiritual... What spirituality are you talking about? <sighs> the image of the church is an expanding tent with the Lord at its century comes from Isaiah. And the point of it is to emphasize that the expanding tent is a place where people are heard and not judged, not excluded. Baloney. Terry, that's that's a political phrase. In politics, they call it the big tent. We don't judge anybody. Come into this big tent. You know, political parties use that. They're using it for this document now. They're, they're, they're twisting the words of Isaiah the prophet, by the way. Yeah, these next two paragraphs, Jess, yeah. go ahead, hit, no, hit them. You're... So we read that the people of God need new strategies, not quarrels and clashes, but <laughs> dialogue, where the distinction between believers and unbelievers yeah. is rejected. Yeah. The people of God must actually listen, it insists, to the cry of the poor and of the earth. Here comes. Because of differences of opinion on abortion, contraception, the ordination of women to the priesthood, and homosexual activity, yeah. some felt that no de definitive positions on these issues can be established or proposed. This is also true of polygamy and divorce and Anything remarriage. goes, man. We have no objective truth. <laughs> this is just, just so, so obvious, but it's sad because officials in our church are putting this out, Jesse. That's the sad part. Continue. And Terry, this basic New Testament theology tells us, like, for example, in oh, 1 John 3.10, yes. it says that you have children of God in this yes. world and children of Satan. But that's 1 John 3.10. Yes, it's simple. Good and evil. Simple. And St. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, you have, uh, uh, you have light and darkness. You have believers and unbelievers. It's a very clear. There is a, there is a binary, uh, you know, the, positions within the New Testament. It says here. This is good right here, Jess. Hit yeah. Um, what is one? What is one of what is one to make of this potpourri 
this outpouring of New Age goodwill. It's not a summary of Catholic faith or New Testament teaching. It is incomplete, hostile in significant ways to the apostolic tradition, and nowhere acknowledges the New Testament as the Word of God. There you go. (laughs) Again, Terry, we've said this for years, for 20 years, we're young men, that the the modernists do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We've known that for 25, 30 years. Now we're seeing it right now. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing it played out. Yep. Uh, they don't. They don't acknowledge the New Testament as the Word of God, normative for all teaching on faith and morals. The Old Testament is ignored, <laughs> patriarchy rejected, and the Mosaic Law, including the Ten Commandments, that's not acknowledged. They, they throw it all out. Two points can be made initially. The two final synods in Rome in 2023 and 24 will need to clarify their teaching on moral matters, as the relator, chief writer, and manager. Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, who, by the way, is pro-LGBT, has publicly rejected the basic teachings of the church on sexuality on the grounds that they contradict modern science. Really? In in normal times, this would have meant that his continuing as relator was inappropriate, indeed impossible. But, of course, not not under the Francis papacy, Terry. No, he's not going to get fired. He's going to be affirmed. Yeah, the synods have to choose whether there are servants and defenders of the apostolic tradition on faith and morals or whether their discernment compels them to assert their sovereignty over Catholic teaching. They must decide whether basic teachings on things like priesthood and morality can be parked in a pluralist limbo where some choose to redefine sin downwards and most agree to defer respectfully. Well said. Enlarge the tent is alive to the failings, the failings of bishops. I agree. Outside the Synod, discipline is loosening, especially in Northern Europe, where a few bishops have not been rebuked, even after asserting a bishop's right to dissent. A de facto pluralism already exists more widely in in some parishes and religious orders on things like blessing homosexual activity. Terry reminds me of the the, the Orthodox bishop from, I think it was from Puerto Rico. He was canceled by Pope Francis because uh, he was telling people, you can't take the jab. Okay, this is evil. You can't do this. And the Pope Francis got rid of him. You never hear from him, do you? <laughs> He's done. Yeah. Diocesan bishops are the successors of the apostles, the chief teacher in each diocese, and the focus of local unity for their people and the universal unity around the Pope, the successor of Peter. Since the time of St. Irenaeus of Leon, the bishop is also the guarantor of continuing fidelity to Christ's teaching, the apostolic tradition. They are governors and sometimes judges, as well as teachers and sacramental celebrants. And are not just wallflowers or rubber stamps. You see, Jesse, let me interrupt. Some. That's how they're going to be judged. Yeah. The same way you and I are being judged as fathers and husbands. Yep, yep. See, the responsibilities of our vocation is how we're judged. Okay, real quick, Jess, we got a couple minutes to finish her up. We'll continue on the next segment with this oh, topic. Oh, yeah, we're going to yeah. have to then. Hey, Jess. Enlarge, enlarge the tent is alive to the failings of bishops who sometimes do not listen, yeah. have autocratic tendencies, and can be clericalist and individualist. Huh, I've seen that. You think? There are signs of hope, of effective leadership and cooperation. But the document opines that pyramid models of authority should be destroyed, and the only genuine authority comes from love and service. Unbelievable. Baptismal dignity is to be emphasized, not ministerial ordination. That's a whole that's Protestantism right there. Yep, yep. And governance styles should be less hierarchical and more circular and participative. That's classic modernism, Terry, yeah, and that's, that that's Protestantism. Yeah, exactly. Luther and Calvin right now are laughing oh, in they, their graves. And you know who else is laughing? Our Anglican brothers 
they did this exact same thing. And many of them who are in the Anglican ordinariate who have become Catholic, they're speaking out and saying, hey, guys, we did this exact same thing. <clears throat> Look what happened to our church. We don't have, go, down, yeah, they don't all go left. down that road. Yeah, yeah. but and it, this priest is warning us, don't do this because you're, you stick to your guns. I mean, stick yeah. to your core teachings. Don't compromise. That's what they're saying to us. Continue. Yeah, the main actors in all Catholic synods and councils and in all Orthodox synods have been the bishops. In a mm -hmm. gentle, cooperative way, this should be asserted and put into practice at the <clears throat> continental synods so that pastoral initiatives remain within the limits of sound doctrine. Bishops are not there simply to validate due process and offer an ahilabstat to what they have observed. Yeah, especially when they're asking Protestants and non-believers to give their opinion on Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, Basically, yeah, our leaders are to confirm us in our faith, not to bring doubt. And that's what we're getting right now. Everything exactly. is doubtful rather than confirming us that the Word of God is true and to believe it. And then, stay with us, friends. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Yes, I'm going to throw a curveball. I, usually at the break, I'll even text you about what I'm going to say, but I'm going to throw a curveball to you. And that is human nature being what it is. When you are committing a sin, and I know this from my own uh, fall in my human nature, my concupiscence, mm -hmm. I try to justify it. You know, I say, oh, well, circumstances or, you know, that, that teaching has to change. I wonder in the church, and I'm not going to name names, but I, have, I believe that many of these prelates have lost the faith to a point where they're saying, look, I got a good comfy job. And, uh, you know, I believe that whether it's homosexuality or, uh, you know, abortion, it's okay. But, you know, we need to make this change because this is what I personally believe. And uh, we need to get with the times. So I'm, I'm pointing out to you, Jesse, that human nature, we try to justify bad behavior by saying it's now good. Am I onto something? Yeah, when you look at uh, 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 the category of sins, there's this one sin a lot of people don't confess. It's called the sin of self-justification. There you go. Yeah, there's a big list of like 600 sins uh, of the, that ha happen through your passions and emotions. That's one of them. It's called the sin of justification. And also Father Ripperger has in his book, yeah. he has a list of hundreds of demons. One of them is called the demon of self-justification. Ah. Yeah, so demons, demons push the human person and they trigger your fallen nature to try to justify your sins. Well, I think that I think that's what's happening even in the high echelons of the church. Of course it is. That's why Pope Francis just said the other day. Again, sometimes he says things that are very good. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. About Satan. He said he said the Satan is he goes the elegant demon yeah. is lurking inside the Vatican. He just said go. that last week. Yes, he did. Elegant demon. Think about that, Terry. Elegant demon. Uh, I don't know. Elegant. It, it could be the demon of uh, that. Likes, you know, fine wine, caviar, five-star yeah. hotels, a lot of money, uh, you know, nice clothes, chauffeurs, uh, you know, butlers. In other words, he, he warned them. Yep. A lot of you guys want to live like Scarface, like like mafiosos. You guys are, are successors of the apostles. So that was a good statement that he made last week. So I, I give him props for that. Amen. Let's continue, Jess. <coughs> None of the sinners participants, lay religious priests or bishops... <coughs> are well served by the synod ruling that voting is not allowed and propositions cannot be proposed. <laughs> to pass on only the organizing committee's views is to the Holy Father for him to do, as he decides is an, as he decides is an abuse of synodality, yep. a sidelining of the bishops, 
which is unjustified by scripture or tradition. It is not due process and is liable to manipulation. Yeah, you think? By an enormous margin, regular worshiping Catholics everywhere do not endorse the present synod findings. Neither is there much enthusiasm at senior church levels. Of course not. Yeah, there's a lot of bishops that have just dropped out. Continued meetings of this sort deepen divisions, and a knowing few can exploit the muddle and goodwill. The ex-Anglicans among us are right to identify the deepening confusion, the attack on traditional morals, and the insertion into the dialogue of neo-Marxist jargon about exclusion, alienation, identity, marginalization, the voiceless, LGBTQ, as well as the displacement of Christian notions of forgiveness, sin, sacrifice, healing, and redemption. Why the silence on the afterlife of, or, or, or reward exactly. or punishment on the four last things, yep. death, judgment, heaven, and hell? Yep. So far, the synodal way has neglected, indeed, downgraded the transcendent, covered up the centrality of Christ That's right. with appeals to the Holy Spirit and encouraged resentment, especially among participants. Working documents, by the way, Cardinal Pell reminds us, they're not part of the magisterium. That's right. They are one basis for discussion to be judged by the whole people of God and especially the, by the bishops with and under the Pope. This working document needs radical changes. The bishops must realize that there is work to be done in God's name sooner rather than later. Well said. Jess, uh, you know, that's a commentary. Now, Cardinal Pell uh, wrote that you know, article in The Spectators. You said just before he passed... Uh, but we have another comment on this. This is Cardinal Pell, again, you know, the former head of the Vatican finances. He doesn't criticize Pope Francis directly in his piece, but it was later who instituted this central way, which, according to Pell, has neglected, indeed downgraded, like transcendent coverage up to the centrality of Christ, what Jess was saying, and appeals to this Holy Spirit encourages resentment uh, among the participants. But Pell stated quite plainly that the whole process, which began, <clears throat> again, in a consultation of the laity, which is only a minuscule proportion of the world's Catholics took place, is a process of being rigged. And I agree with him. Someone had to say this. It's rigged. The, the Senate participants will not be allowed to vote, as Justice said. This phrase goes to the heart of the matter. Pell describes the arrangement as abuse of synodality. It's what it is, this it's abuse because it sidelines the successors of the apostles, the bishops, who is unjustified by scripture or tradition. And Jesse, what I what I really want to point out is that this could be it was I, Pell didn't know this, this was going to be his last public statement. No, he didn't know that. You know, nobody knows when you're going to die. But a hugely influential cardinal who was once part of the Pope's inner circle, put, put simply, it expressed righteous fury at the theological direction of this pontificate. And remember, we said this earlier, Cardinal Mueller and Cardinal Pell worked on this article together. They spent hours going over it, so they really were careful on how to do this. But it's pretty strong. It's, it's, it's hinting that it's a betrayal of Christ himself. I agree with that. <clears throat> and he said, and by sad coincidence, it appears in the same week of Archbishop Genwin's revelation of Benedict XVI in retirement was horrified by his successor's suppression of the Latin Mass and also suspected that it was based on a bogus consultation. What he means by that, Jesse, is when we ask for that 
a consultation of the bishops who said what we found out that it's not it wasn't true they they manufactured that most bishops in the world had were indifferent regarding the latin mass many of them wanted it but very few said they didn't want it and unfortunately the folks in the vatican said didn't tell us the truth on that and uh, this is just you know wrong of them given these developments one wonders for how much longer and wider the church will be prepared to allow and embrace Francis to do as he's decided. And I think that uh, the death of Benedict and the death of Cardinal Pell are really waking up many people in the church, which it should. And I, and I thank God for the, the large body of writing of Pope Benedict. Oh, yeah. And he was Cardinal Ratzinger. <clears throat> and I'll tell you why, Terry, because <clears throat> uh, he... He was a he was a the theologian he was a Saint Augustine giant, of our times. He's a giant and of our times. The last hundred years he was yeah. a giant of our times. And he's the one that's actually written because some people say, Well, Jess, you and Terry sound like you guys criticizing the Holy Father. <laughs> well, guess what? Pope Benedict actually said that we could. Yep. As he was writing his book, Jesus of Nazareth, he actually said, he says, You can criticize me. I'm the Pope. You can criticize this book. I didn't, this is not the exercise of my magisterium. Mm-hmm. This is my personal research to the face of Christ. Yep. And uh, also Pope Benedict XVI, this is back in the 70s as Cardinal Ratzinger. Yep. Look at the statement that he makes. He says, popes might make pronouncements that are inconsistent with the Catholic Church's authentic and historic doctrine. We're there. <laughs> which would necessitate criticism yep. of those pronouncements. Yep. Thank God that Cardinal Ratzinger, the, the, the no. director of the CDF, said that because if not, you and me would be, uh, people uh, would be saying, what are you guys doing? No, no, we can justify I'm just telling you, yeah. what this is. Th- it's Catholic to do what we're doing. You just got to do it in charity, of course. Exactly. And to prove that, and, and it, it, Terry, even Pope Francis has said in several, he was in front of the Italian bishop. I remember that. Yeah, back in 2018, he said said this, quote, Pope Francis says, it is not a sin to criticize the Pope here. Yep, I use that word all the time. And again, so, but as lay people, Canon 212, it's it's basically, as faithful, we have an obligation, Terry, to to correct church leaders in charity. Yeah. We, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, he actually says this as well, Humility. that laymen can question their superiors. Canon 212 yep. gives us this, this authority also. Right. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, 907. Yep. Remember, not, uh, we have to remember, because here's where a lot of people, here's where they, a lot of Catholics, they have this misconception. They say, well, every time the Pope speaks, you know, he's exercising his infallibility 24-7. No, he's not. Nope. The gift of infallibility is 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 exercised on rare circumstances. Yep. Uh, again, so this doesn't mean that a pope can't be legitimately criticized for certain actions or statements that they may say or they may do. Again, even St. Pope John Paul II, I, I love him. One of the greatest popes in our lifetime, uh, he was criticized for certain approaches to things, such as his approach to... Uh, Ecumenism with yep. the uh, ecumenical Assisi prayer gathering and the right. kissing of the Quran. Yep. You know, that was that warranted criticism, Terry. Yep. That's correct. Jesse, that's just, you know what? Humility, humility, humility. 
Uh, anybody, and that was the thing about Benedict, what everybody talked about, when he would discuss theology with heretics, he gave them respect in a sense that, let's hear your position, and then he would, he would repeat what their position is, and then tell them what the, the, the true teaching is on that, and he would correct them in a humble way. And I think that's why he was such a great man, because he was gentle, but he, he would always put the truth as being what we're after. And I think, you know, this is what we're trying to say is, where does the tr what is the truth here, Jesse? Because personalities and all that stuff, put it aside. Yeah. What is the truth? And the gospel is the truth. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the light. And we have to embrace his way, not our personal ideas on, well, well the Bible's wrong here, the Bible's yeah. right on this. No, we can't pick and choose. Yeah. We have to take the whole banana so to speak. And that's what I think Benedict did. I think that's what Cardinal Pell did. And that's why I want to highlight these men, because for years to come, their writings, I, I truly believe Benedict will be like a doctor of the church someday uh, because of his writings, and especially at our time when we need him, yeah. especially now. Terry, there's two people right now that are embattled in their offices. Joe Biden and Pope Francis. A very both, similar. Yeah, they're both embattled right now. Yep. And they're for and actually for very similar reasons. Sorry. Yeah. Hey, did I say that? I did, yeah, yes. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. When we're back, we'll talk more on the Terry and Jesse show on Virgin, most powerful radio. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888 526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Let's talk about the second commandment. Very practical catechesis. Thank you, Beth. Take not the name of the church but, or the Lord in vain. But Jesse, especially in the month of January. Exactly, because the month of January is the holy name of Jesus. It. That's yep. why, it's, yeah. I know. It fits. I've never found very convincing the notion that the commandment against taking the name of the Lord in vain is about swearing. Yeah. I'm not defending swearing, but I also don't think God expended uh, that. I don't think God expended one of only ten commandments to rank as a mortal sin, saying, "Gee, damn it!" When you're aggravated, God is not that thin-skinned. The article says, and God isn't isn't His name anyway. The scriptures tell us He quote has a name above all other names close quote, which for some purposes is signified by the use of the sacred tetragrammaton. So sacred that the four letters, Y-H, W-H, in Hebrew, the four consonants, which may represent I am who am, or I am with you, were not to be spoken by the Jews. In its place, Jewish readers say Adonai, which we render in English as the Lord. So, as annoyed as I am singing happy 1970 worship tunes about Yahweh, because I know how offensive this is to our Jewish brethren. That isn't his name either. And by the way, his name's not Jehovah as well. No. Not taking the name of the Lord in vain is related to the first commandment's prohibitions against idolatry. That is, having any gods other than the Lord and making graven images. In idolatry, the worshiper forms the, the god, lowercase g, to his or her image. Warriors worship the war god, and hunters worship the hunter god, whereas we are formed in God's image. When Moses brings the two tablets with the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai, he finds that the Israelites have made a golden calf. 
Why a golden calf? As a shepherding people wandering in the wilderness, they want bigger herds. So they made an image of they made an image of their own desire. Every act of idolatry is an act of self-idolatry. We make the God lowercase g that we want, and the results are disastrous. If we want to be formed into God's image, the God of justice and love, we begin by following the commandments written on those two tablets. Terry? So why is it important that we do not take the name of the Lord in vain? Above all, because calling upon the name of a divinity was the traditional way of conjuring a god or a spirit or a demon. Whoa, you don't conjure, conjure the Lord. He does not arise to do our bidding, even if we offer him a cartload of sacrifices. It's unhealthy to think of him that way, as though our relationship were, you know, quo pro. A quid, a quid pro quo. Yeah, pro quo. You, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. <laughs> All the gifts we offer to God are gifts God has given us, including the gift of our virtuous acts. God's grace, what Catholics call prevenient grace, makes possible all our selfless acts of love. We love, it says in 1 John, because God has loved us first. So one thing you don't want to do is to imagine that you can call down the Lord to do your selfish will Mm -hmm. or crush your opponents. God will always do the just thing in accord with his divine providence, irrespective of of what you ask him. So in this sense, saying God will damn you is not only absurd, you have no idea what God will or won't do. (laughs) It's also a grievous error. You're mistaking your will for God's will. One day praying in a chapel, I heard a young man across the way say to a young woman, I know it's God's will that we should be together. Actually, he didn't know that. He was (laughs) using God's name to manipulate her. And that's a horrible sin. So, too, when a preacher proclaims that God would never condemn X, even though the scriptures clearly reveal the opposite, he's guilty of taking the name of the Lord in vain. There are repeated warnings in the Old Testament against both idolatry and false prophecy. They are the sins of the first order. And it is these sins that are condemned by the commandment. Take not the name of the Lord in vain. Go ahead, Terry. Yep. Okay, there are repeated warnings of the Old Testament against both idolatry. Perhaps then they should be uh, related commandments. Take not the name of the church in vain. People mm. say things all the time in the name of the church that are just simply false, of course, absurd, or nefarious. When people claim that the church teaches X... Like Father Martin. Like Father Martin. I was just going to use that same example. Half the time, the church doesn't. And don't get me started on how often people have insisted in canon law, it says, when it doesn't. Yeah, fiddler on the roof. The Bible says somewhere. No! And then there's the odd habit of people taking upon themselves the apostolic authority to proclaim others heretics. A heretic is not simply someone with whom you disagree, nor is it someone is someone a heretic. It's a very precise statement. If it does not seem in agreement with our out-of-context century-old papal teaching you found online. Let me just mention one thing about that. Yeah, there I, are, yeah there's a distinction that the article doesn't make. Of course. About, 
formal heretics and material Material, heretics. you got it, Jess. So if you see a baptized Catholic in your parish saying there's four persons in the Blessed Trinity, exactly. you can say, hey, dude, that's, ma- that's material heresy. Uh, now, you don't know. Uh, again, you can't call him a formal heretic. That would re- basically require the bishop, right, you know, an investigation a, a canonical process. Right, right. But if he says something like, in your presence, there are four people in the Trinity, material. without a doubt, that's a material, and you could call him on it. Yep, yep. Yeah. and you should call him, because here's the point, admonishing a sinner, if someone is teaching something that's contrary to the gospel, we have an obligation to speak up when we know the truth. So yeah. that's important. Go ahead, yeah. Jess. When I am asked whether someone is a heretic, I see that, I say that such determinations are above my pay grade. I'm not a bishop with apostolic authority. I can say that such and such and such positions seem troubling or not in accord with the church's tradition and magisterial teaching as far as I can judge such matters. Mm -hmm. If I've read all the relevant documents properly and understood correctly what the speaker or writer was saying. But dismissing someone glibly on Twitter as a heretic is the adult equivalent of the childish rant, you're a dork. Especially when the person to be thus cast into the outer darkness as a heretic is someone known to be a faithful Catholic. To my mind, that, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Such a person is likely mistaking his thoughts and dispositions for magisterial teaching, and that's, well, heretical. <laughs> the word heresy, it comes from the Greek word meaning to choose as idolatry forming God to your image to fit your wants and desires. So too, heresy is forming the church to fit your preferences and dispositions. By the way, that's what they're doing in, the, in these exactly. synods of synodality. Exactly what they're doing. Yeah, you nailed it. And whether you're choosing from the right side of the menu or the left, it's still you doing the choosing. Either way, it's bad. Whether you're a conservative Catholic with a smattering of theology courses or an elite modernist German bishop. And that's a good point. <laughs> As Catholics, and I know it's difficult. It is. As Catholics, we're called to stay right there in on the ship, in the center, and we, with the with the perennial teachings of the te- teachings of the church. That's that's the center. Don't go off to the left or to the and right. Become a modernist wo- woke liberal, uh, as the old uh, the, the old tan book. Liberalism is a sin. Yeah. Don't go off to the right. Nope. You know, saying, I know more than the Pope. You know what? I, I'm the magisterium. I'm, I'm a set of a cantus. There hasn't been a Pope in 60 years. Uh, and again, even Terry, the SSPX, that's not the that's not the solution. No, it isn't. It, it's not the solution. The solution is we stay within the church uh, canonically so that we can fight the good fight of faith within the church. Uh, it, it's not good to set up a sh- set up shop across the street and and throw rocks at mother church you got to stay within the church and fight within the church for for as superman says terry truth and justice yeah <laughs> and not the american way but jesus's way absolutely i want to give a plug to eric Jenis, our good friend who oh, does yeah. so much work on the uh music uh don't miss it uh you know he's spoken he's actually played music in carnegie hall he's going to be at our sacred heart chapel on january 29th at 6 30 in the evening it's a free concert we did it last year, and I'm telling you, people were so moved by his music. So I want to. Uh, you don't have to register; just show up, and I'm I'm going to put out the box for a free will offering for him because he's willing to do the work. We should pay him for for what he does. And then the last thing I want to mention is uh, tomorrow we'll have the spirit. We'll have our uh, evangelization conference with Johnny Romero and myself. There's still room to come. You can go online to vmpr.org. 
and take a look at that by registering there or call 877-526-2151. Also, uh, Bible with the Barbers, my wife and I are going to be on together for a change. And uh, she's going to be quoting uh, something from uh, from uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 3 regarding uh, the effect of sin that's in our life and what the Bible has to say and how we can overcome it. So important that we go consistently to the Word of God yeah. and uh, become enriched in it. And that's what the Bible with the Barbers deal is for us. Um, Mary Danielle, are you in the studio right now? No, she's not. I'm going to have her yeah. say something. Okay, here she comes. Mary Danielle, I was I was sharing with our listeners to stay tuned. Those who aren't on uh, the vmpr.org app, you got to pick up an app to hear this. What are you going to be sharing with us today on your show? Well, we're going to be talking about um, the warning against sin in the letter to the Hebrews and um, the warning against being unfaithful to God, essentially. Yeah. yeah. You know, we have the, we live in this world where people are like, oh, well, you know, God is so forgiving. He's so loving that <laughs> nothing will ever separate us from him. And he's going to get us into heaven no matter what. Everybody. And um, <laughs> we're going to take a look at that and see what the Bible has to say about that. Sounds good. Amen. All right, Mary. Well, we'll look forward to doing that. And good if you stuff, can't, yeah, you need to get the app to listen to this. It's probably not on your AM station you're listening to. Go to vmpr.org. You can listen to all of our shows, Jesus 911. Uh, and just so much, the Bishop Strickland Hour. Uh, Jess, let's finish up on this topic uh, of, uh, the, this is the month of the holy name of Jesus, and the we need to be really careful with our, our language when we talk about God. That's the bottom line. Yeah, just the month in the month of uh, January, find any excuse throughout the day yeah. to use the name of Jesus with faith, hope, and love. Man. These are called, these short prayers are called ejaculation prayers or arrow prayers, where you just say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Amen. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, protect me. Jesus, be with me. Jesus, hold me up, bear me up. Call upon the name of Jesus throughout the month of January, and it'll be habituated, and you'll do that throughout the rest of the year. Terry, great, take it great away. Great advice. Just what state should we be living in, brother? state of sanctifying grace don't live in a state of mortal sin and be holy be holy or die trying and become a saint what else is there remember our gospel for today's mass about them lowering the guy down from the roof well our lady of fatima says souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices we can do that we are at home at in our work by offering everything to jesus may god richly bless you